Well, it is always an honor to be with you. Uh, always an honor to uh, worship the Lord with you. Always an honor to come up here and open up God's word and humbly proclaim the excellencies of him. Amen. Because he is indeed excellent. You believe that this morning? All right, I'm going to help you believe it all the more this morning. Uh, I don't want to waste any time. I want to hop right into things. And to do that, I want to kick things off with a song. But don't worry, I don't got a voice. So, uh, But for my young people, I, maybe, maybe I could drop a few bars. Amen? All right, it goes like this. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people. The church, say it with me, saints, the church is a people, the people of God. That's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Leon began uh, a little mini-series. He preached a sermon, a wonderful sermon on what it means to be saved, what it means to be rescued by God. And then he followed that up uh, the following week with a message on what it means to live as a new creation in Christ, a born again, a born again son and daughter of the Lord. And so we thought it'd be fitting to end this little mini series, if you want to call it that, by lifting high the church, by proclaiming who the church is and really what the church does. Amen. And so the church, case in point, is the people of God. Who is the church? What does the church do? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And there's no better text of Scripture to turn to in the New Testament than 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Uh, because in that text, Peter, uh, in those two theologically loaded verses, he, he tells us just that. He defines who the church is. And then flowing from that, he tells us, he summarizes for us, what the church does. And here's the big idea coming right from that text, and this will be the big idea for the message this morning. It's this. The church is the redeemed people of God who proclaim him to a hostile world. The church is the redeemed people of God. That's the who. Who proclaim him to a hostile world. That's the what. That's what the church does. And so with this big idea in mind, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles or your smart devices and meet me in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to focus on verses 9 and 10 this morning, 9 and 10, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, uh, you can find that in your pew Bibles. Watch this. I got, I got my, I, I looked ahead of time, so I know my pages, 1728 and 1729 of your pew Bibles. That's where you'll find this text. And if all else fails, it'll be on the screen for you, right? Help a brother, help a sister out. All right, when you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor. No, you got to let, let it squeak a little. I'm there, Pastor. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. All right, all right. I'm going to read our text and pray, and then we'll dive in. Starting verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. God's special possession. Let that sink in. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, brothers and sisters, you have received mercy. This is the word of God. And before considering it, it's only fitting that we go to him and ask him to show us its meaning. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your living and active word. The words you breathed out by your spirit. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Would you take your word and do just that with it this morning, even in my own heart? For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Well, family, I want to show you two characteristics from this text uh, that together, when taken together, bring home this big idea that the church is the redeemed people of God who indeed proclaim him to a hostile world. So let's not waste any time. Let's look at that first major characteristic. And there'll be several uh, points flowing from this one. The special status. Notice the special status of the church. This characteristic really just provides the answer to the question, who is the church? And family, when I say church, know that uh, I'm talking about Big C Church, the universal church, the worldwide church. But I'm also talking about the local church, the, the local expression of the Big C, the worldwide family of God. Amen? And so when I say special status, I'm talking about the special God-given identity. Not something you and I mustered up, something God gave us. Something God gave us. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, I want you to think from the lens of local church because we, after all, Mac, are a local body of Christ, right? Right here in 48214, and that's fitting. Peter would like that because Peter is actually writing his letter to local churches who are living in a hostile world. And so we, too, find a relevant word here because we are living in a day and time in a world that is hostile towards us because they don't like King Jesus, the one we serve. Amen? They don't like him. And so we need encouragement. We need to be rooted in our identity. And so like any good pastor would do, that's what Peter does. He takes the special status of the church, the God-given status, and he lavishes it on these churches. And you, brothers and sisters, are about to be lavished by this text. Because before the face of your heavenly father, you need to know who you are and whose you are. Amen? You don't just need to know what your special status is. You need to know who your God is. And so that text does that for us. This text is perfect at doing that. It's sufficient. And so, Mac, what is our special status before the face of God? What is it? Well, in verse 9, Peter uses four titles. Notice, Four titles to describe it to us, and all four of these titles come straight out of the Old Testament. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God would use these four titles to describe his people Israel, his covenant people. And so Peter takes these titles and he applies them to the church. And keep in mind, this, these body, uh, uh, bodies of believers that Peter is writing to, are Gentile, meaning non-Jewish congregations, just like us, largely a non-Jewish congregation. And yet Peter takes language from the Old Testament that God puts on Israel and he applies it to the church because he is saying, Peter is saying, the church is the continuation of God's true believing Israel. Or to say it another way, the church is the continuation of God's true believing people. From start to finish, God has always had only one people. And they're made up of all the people of God. Amen? Everyone is a, in Christ, a son, a daughter of Abraham. And therefore, a son and daughter of God. But let me keep going because I got to get to the meat. There's four titles that Peter points out, and I want to take each of them at a, at a time. So we'll look at this first one. Notice it in verse 9. Peter says, but you are a chosen people. A chosen people. Direct your eyes up to verse 4, and notice Peter refers to Christ 
as God's chosen and honored one. Why does he do that? You see, what Peter is saying there is ever since, no, let me say it differently, uh, God for all of eternity, God the Father, has regarded God, his eternal son, as the one through whom and in whom he would save his people. And so Peter says here in this text, we are a chosen people. And in verse 4, he says Jesus is his chosen one. How does this connect? I want to share the words of one theologian. He has verses like 2 Peter and Ephesians 1.4 and 2 Timothy 1.9 in mind when he says this. But listen to how he explains it. Since we did not exist before the foundation of the world, these verses indicate that God, watch this now, looking into the future and knowing that we would exist, thought of us being in a special relationship with Christ. He did not first choose us and later decide to relate us to Christ. Nope. Rather, while choosing us, he at the same time, the very same time, thought about us as belonging to Christ in a special way, as being, like Paul would say, in Christ. Therefore, God thought about us as eventually having the right to share in all the blessings of Christ's saving work. Mac, family, maybe you didn't hear it. Maybe I need to make it a little more clear. Before the world ever began, the sovereign God of heaven, out of his free and generous loving kindness, chose a wretched sinner like you and me to be saved through and in, watch this, his chosen son. Not because we deserved it, but totally out of his own good pleasure and will. The Bible calls this beautiful truth, but difficult truth. Election or being chosen by God. Being chosen by God. But it's not enough to just explain it. Can I describe it to you? Let me describe how it works. How does, how does it work? Well, I'll make my best attempt to tell you how this doctrine of election, or we're going to call it being chosen by God. To do that, though, I need you to use your imagination with me. Can you, everybody go like this. You just turned your thinking cap, your imagination hat on, okay? So the youth are like, no, no, not the sound effects. He did that the, during the retreat. So I want you to think about this. Imagine you're standing outside of the most delicious, the most fancy restaurant ever. Over the years, people have been inviting you to this restaurant. They've been persuading you. They've been telling you how good the meat is there, how good the sides are, how everything's fresh. It always comes out just right. Uh, the servers are on point. They never get the order wrong. Uh, it's as if this restaurant is perfect. So you're standing outside of this restaurant. You've never gone to it. You've heard about it. You've been, been, people have been trying to persuade you about it, but now you feel drawn to go. But there's a problem. You know what it is? You don't feel like you have the proper dress to go in there. You don't feel like you have the proper attire in your closet. And so feeling these thoughts, you also think to yourself, you know what? Thinking back on my life, all the, the dirt I've done, I don't even deserve to, even if I had the right attire, I don't even deserve to go in this restaurant. I don't deserve to eat at this establishment. But right as you're entertaining these thoughts, your eyes catch the sign of the restaurant. And the sign of the restaurant says, just to your surprise, what everybody was telling you about the restaurant. The sign says, welcome all, just as you are. All you can eat and drink for free. All you can eat and drink for free. Think of your auntie's mac and cheese, all you can eat of it. Think of, uh, I, I used to, this, 
woman back in uh, our neighborhood in, in South Memphis used to make the best sweet tea, and I don't even like sweet tea. But I'll drink hers. Imagine endless supply of sweet tea. Are you listening? So you're there. You're standing outside of the restaurant. You see this sign, and feeling so irresistibly drawn, you find yourself walking right in the dough. And poof, all of a sudden, as soon as your feet hit the, hit the uh, I don't know what you call it, the tile, whatever you want to call it, as soon as your feet enter the restaurant, you are, ladies, you are transformed into the most dazzling attire. Fellas, you're dripping from head to toe in a three-piece suit, maybe even a top hat and a cane if you want, you know, and you're just feeling yourself, okay? And, and, and the host meets you right away. There ain't no wait time at this restaurant. No, no, but no, nothing like here's a pager, wait for the beep. Nope, nope. You go right to your table. The host begins to take you to your table, and you're caught up in the smooth jazz music going on in the background. You're smelling the, the, the succulent dishes of food, all the, the, the array of laughter and dinner conversations. You're caught up in it, but the most mind-blowing of all. The most mind-blowing of all, you come to your table. You come and the host pulls out your seat. And you notice your name is right on the table. Vershawn. Don't worry. Brother Heard. Insert your name there, saints. Your name's at the table. How do they how how do they know my name? Right as you think this thought, your eyes catch the sign out the windows of the restaurant. And do you know what the sign says now? Once it said, Welcome all just as you are. All you can eat and drink for free. Now it says, chosen before the foundation of the universe in Christ. Hallelujah. Let me explain. You see, when you were an unbeliever, still dead in your trespasses and sins, still walking the way of the world, being persuaded, being constantly invited to go into the restaurant called the kingdom of God. But you never went. You see, the gospel message to you all your life was good news going out to all the world, saying, welcome all, come as you are, just as you are, all you can eat and drink for free. And one day, you walked in. Amen. And you know what happened when you walked in? You became a born-again believer in Christ. And, and that same good news that you heard stays that good news, only it gets nuanced. Now when you consider this good news, you hear it as a constant, humbling, joyful reminder. That the only reason a sinner like you and me said yes to God is because before creation began, God said yes about you. He knows your name. If I could sing Tasha Cobbs right now, I would. But I can't, so I'm not going to. But saints, do you feel what Peter is saying? Not just you individually, you corporately are a chosen people. You see, I remember the first time I got chose to play minor league professional hockey. I got the call. I was, you know, I was living in a one-room basement, a, 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 a room, a, a, a single room. I had, thankfully, my own bathroom, but I was, I was in this interim, funny interim period. And I didn't, have, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had my bags packed, ready to go, though. I was a Christian. I knew I was loved by God. I knew God had birthed this dream in me to go and play. But I wasn't getting the call. And then one day, my phone rang and said, Kevin, you've been selected to play for my team. 
And friends, I man, I left that basement so fast. I was like, I'm done. I'm I'm through with this place. I was on cloud nine. I was so filled with joy. But nothing compared to when I first found out I was chose by God. It smashed that joy. <laughs> it made that look like a little snicker. Because when I found out that God chose me before the foundation of the universe, after all the dirt that I have done, whoo, come on, family. And get this, I don't know where you're at, saints. I take a little more time on this point because God told me to. And here's the thing, I got the mic, you don't. So <laughs> what you going to do? So listen, listen, saints, listen. Wherever you're coming in at today, whether you're a person who's never known what it's like to be selected, always felt overlooked in life, always passed by, not even picked last, who cares because you have the choice of the only one whose choice really matters in life. And maybe you're a person who's been chosen all your life for things, just seem to get the break. Don't get too high and mighty. Be humbled by this. The sovereign God, the holy God, chose a, a wretched sinner like you to be his beloved son and daughter. Amen? All right, I got to keep going. There's more sermon to preach. Amen? So we are a chosen people, Peter says. But not only that, he also says you are a royal priesthood a royal priesthood. In verses 4 and 5, Peter actually refers to the church as a new temple. And then, right after that, he follows that up by saying, not only is the church the new temple, but this makes the church a holy priesthood within the temple. Serving God within this new temple, not made of brick and mortar, but flesh and blood. Believers locking arms like living stones connected together to form God's sanctuary. We serve God in that sanctuary as his holy priesthood. Peter gets so excited about this, he reiterates it right here in verse 9 by calling us a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood takes this language right out of Exodus 19.6. You say, okay, pastor, we're going to talk about the unique ministry of the priesthood in a moment, but what is, what does this mean? What does it mean to be God's royal priesthood? You see, to be God's royal priesthood means that we are like God's HDTVs, his high-definition televisions. Because just think about it, like an HDTV that is known for displaying stunningly clear and vivid pictures of entertainment to viewers, we are God's HDTVs who are to be known for displaying stunningly clear and vivid pictures of God to the world. You see, as kings and queens, this is the royal aspect, we display to the world the saving rule of God, the all-wise loving rule of God. And as priests and priestesses, this is the priestly aspect, we broadcast to the world, if I could say it like that, the saving mercy of God in Jesus Christ. You see, we are God's HD TVs. His high definition. If you want to see who God is, they ought to be able to see him in the church. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't make me work too hard. You see, Peter says, okay, saints, though you're hated by the world, who cares? Don't dwell on that. Dwell instead on this. You are God's chosen. You are God's royal priesthood, his HDTV, if you will. Amen. 
64 inch. Like Alvin's TV. I don't even know how big his TV is. Just look like cat just looks like he likes to watch a big game, not a small game. Amen. So the church is God's chosen people. The church is his royal priesthood, but there's a third title I need you to see. Peter says, don't forget this, the church is also a holy nation. Peter again pulls this language right out of Exodus 19, where God calls Israel a holy nation. This word holy means set apart for a special purpose. Say, I'm holy. Say it with me, saints. I'm holy. When you said it, though, didn't you feel I don't know if I'm holy. (laughs) I don't know. But Peter is saying, no, church, you are holy. You are a people who have been set apart by God, definitely, definitively, disconnected, snatched up out of the sinful realm you were living in and placed in a new one for his special purpose. I want you to consider the most beautiful platinum diamond ring. Okay, just shining brightly on someone's ring finger. You got that in your mind? But imagine this shiny, brand new platinum diamond ring being covered, lost under a nasty pile of trash. So covered you can't even recognize its original beauty. It's covered under this trash, but then imagine one day someone finds this ring and simultaneously washes it off, buffs it out, and sets it apart to be placed back again on someone's ring finger. Only this time, this ring is 2.0. It's even shining brightly, more brightly than it was before. Get that in your mind. Brothers and sisters, we are like God's platinum diamond rings. You see, before the foundation, I'm sorry, but back in the garden, through our original parents, Adam and Eve, we perfectly broadcasted God's kingly glory to the world. We shined brightly with God's glorious character. But Like the ring that was lost, we, through rebellion, our own rebellion, got covered under a pile of trash. That trash pile is called idolatry, sin, and evil world system. So covered were we, you couldn't even tell who we were anymore. But then one day God, by his spirit, found us and snatched us out and simultaneously washed us off and set us apart as his holy people. His holy nation, Peter says. A people who show the world a different kind of way to be human. Who show the world the way of holiness. So unlike the world are we that in a much better way, we shine brightly, more brightly than our original beauty because we have a God that has set us apart. And, you know, it's Memorial Day, and I'm so glad Pastor Leon uh, gave us a word. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, this pa- it's only fitting I share a story with you, a story speaking about a people who show the world a different kind of way to be human, because we need that. You see, this story, one article calls the untold story of Memorial Day. The untold story of Memorial Day. Uh, Thankfully, the story was uncovered because for many years, it was covered up by white Southerners Because after the failed reconstruction, white Southerners gained power and they started controlling the narrative. The narrative of how Memorial Day began. 
and they wanted Memorial Day uh, to have a certain meaning that they feel like they lost in the war. So they controlled the narrative, but thankfully Dr. David Blight found this story, the untold story of Memorial Day, and thankfully now he's telling it. You see, the story goes that, and by the way, you could find this story if you want to get real serious, in the Harvard archives, in the New York Tribune articles. In, uh, the story goes that the Confederate Army was controlling uh, South Carolina, in Charleston specific, and they turned a racetrack, a horse racing track, into a prison where they would put captured Union soldiers. And the conditions were so horrific in this prison that 257 Union soldiers lost their life from disease. And treating these bodies like trash, the Confederate Army threw them uh, in a huge grave, a massive grave that they dug out behind the grandstands of the racetrack. Covered it up like it was life as usual. But, thankfully, Union Army pushed them out. In 1865, the final year of the war, the Union Army, which included colored troops from the 21st uh, United States colored troops, came in and took the Confederates out, pushed them out, and the story goes that nearly a dozen slaves dug up the bodies, of each of these soldiers and provided them a proper burial with each having their own stone unnamed because they didn't know the names of these soldiers but trying their best to give them all the dignity they could after being dehumanized so the story goes that on May the 1st the first ever Memorial Day happened not what America teaches, not what our history books say. But thankfully, we have some so committed, they'll go the extra mile to find it for us and put it down and record it in the books. And they did, and you can find the footnotes. I checked them. So this procession happens where 3,000 black school children parade around the track holding roses, singing patriotic songs and spirituals, followed by women doing the same, holding baskets and wreaths and crosses, and, and, and black preachers from Charleston preaching sermons and leading prayers, and, 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 and Union soldiers, including those of the colored troops, marching all around the gravesite. And by the way, not only did they provide proper burials for each of these soldiers, they built a white 10-foot-high fence around it to mark it out as a cemetery, and they put above the entrance a sign that said this, martyrs of the racetrack, martyrs of the race course, rather. You say, okay, what's the connection? I share this with you because the black church once again gets silenced. Someone finds it and shows it to us. And we must learn from it because in this story, the black church provides us a powerful example of what it looks like to be God's holy people, to be his set-apart people, to be his different people, his people who show the world a different kind of way to be human. The way specifically of properly honoring the dead and the way of properly remembering and showing honor to fallen soldiers who sacrificed their lives for many of the freedoms we enjoy today. Brothers and sisters, that's how Memorial Day really happened. And friends, we ought to gather conviction. How are we doing on our holiness? Because i got to be honest with you as your pastor. I've been around here for a year now, and i got to tell you, I love you, and I see great Christ-like things, but there is hints of worldliness in the flock. There's hints of worldliness in the flock. And it doesn't honor God. 
And it's not who you are. You are set apart as holy. Holy, holy, holy are you. So why live worldly, worldly, worldly like we sometimes do, myself included? Brothers and sisters, draw strength. Peter says, you are a chosen people. The world says you're nothing, but God says you are my chosen people, my royal priesthood, my holy nation. But there's one more I need you to see. You are my most treasured possession, he says. My most treasured possession. You see, imagine this. Not imagine. Actually, this actually exists. The Golden Jubilee Diamond. I told the kids about it last week. It was our metaphor for the weekend. And it's such a good metaphor. It could be used in many different ways. But I want you to consider it from this. What Peter is saying, you are God's most special possession. When he says that, he's saying you are God's most treasured possession. And it caused me to think about this diamond that was discovered in 1985 called the Golden Jubilee Diamond. You may have heard of it. It's a big, bright brown stone, shining brightly. And uh, this Diamond actually goes down in history as the heaviest diamond, the largest diamond ever discovered. It was found in South Africa in a mine, a diamond mine, and it weighs 545.67 carats. I know because I memorized it. Because I thought it'd be cooler not to have to look at my notes. So anyways, it's also worth Four to twelve million dollars, jewelers estimate. This diamond, the very sight of it, according to all jewelers who have been in its presence, takes their breath away. It's a beautiful sight. And Peter says, brothers and sisters, you are God's golden jubilee diamond. You take his breath away. You said, no, I don't. I sinned last night. He knows. And he cast it as far as the east is from the west. Because there is a horizontal way to look at your life and a vertical way. And God chooses to look at you vertically. He has chose you before the foundation of the universe. He has made you his royal priesthood. He has made you his holy nation. And guess what? You're his most treasured possession. You take his breath away. What I'm really saying is you are the redeemed people of God. You have a special status. But I got one more thing and I'm going to be out your way. And this is the much, much briefer of the two. You are a special people, a special redeemed people who have a special ministry. Notice the special ministry of the church. You know, in the sport of drag racing, you say, why the connection with drag racing? Kind of abrupt. I know, I'm abrupt. I'm an abrupt dude. Drag racing, I need you to consider drag racing. In the sport of drag racing, you have nitrous oxide canisters. What is there, like 17 uh, Fast and Furious movies now? I don't even know. I don't even watch them no more. They're all the same. But I love when they flick that little NOS button, right? It's amazing. But in the sport of drag racing, they'll have these nitrous oxide canisters installed. Why? Because nitrous oxide, I researched it, floods your engine cylinders with oxygen, causing just the right intense boost at the right time of the race, soon as they flip that NOS switch, you cut loose on the track. And it always comes down to who hits it first. You see, Peter is saying your special status 
as God's chosen, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his most treasured possession is like an unlimited canister of NOS, an unlimited nitrous oxide booster, boosting you to carry out, church, his special ministry. You see, you need encouragement. You've been not left without power. You've been filled full of your special status. That's how Peter writes this, because if you put the other one before it, it doesn't work. You put the ministry above the who you are, and you'll always be burned out. Because you'll be doing it in your own power, and you'll be doing it off what God taught you last year. And I'm not saying don't follow what he taught you last year, but you ought to have a fresh step and pep. A pep in your step. That's what I meant. So let me, let me show you how he says it here. You can see it clearly, starting with the nitrous oxide boost. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's the boost. Then here's the special ministry that flows from it, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter says, what is your special ministry? It is to joyfully proclaim the saving mercy of God in Christ to a hostile world. That's what it is. Not as a prideful people, but as a humble people who know what it's like to hear the merciful call of God on your life. Snatching you out of the dark dungeon of sin and death and the devil himself and transferring you into the wonderful kingdom of his beloved son. That's where you are now. You're not here anymore. You're in Christ. The resurrected son of God. You're a new creation and therefore you can shine brightly to the world. But how do we do that? How does the church carry out its royal priesthood ministry? Remember I said I'd come back to the ministry part. Here it is. They carry out this ministry of proclamation through our worship and through our evangelism. Through our worship and through our lifestyle evangelism, I'll call it. Let me describe it by borrowing the the metaphor I used earlier, the HDTV. You see, an HDTV reflects stunningly clear and vivid pictures, and we are God's HDTVs. But what does the ministry look like? It looks like this. First of all, we stunningly reflect the saving mercy of God to the world through our Sunday morning worship. That's why it's so important for you to be here. Maybe some Saturdays or Sunday mornings you're just not feeling it. Well, don't go off your feelings. Get to the center. I had a friend that once said, when you're discouraged, get to the fold. You'll find something. You'll find somebody with another problem, and you'll be so preoccupied to serve, your problem will diminish in its power over you. And you see, sometimes you got to get to the center of the fold, and the best center of the fold is right here on Sunday mornings. It's not so much the building. It's when the people of God gather to hear the gospel preached and to sing the gospel and to, to give generously out of the joy of the gospel and to read the gospel and to feast upon the gospel in the Lord's Supper and to see the gospel when new believers are down here getting baptized. Amen? Brothers and sisters, what happens when that happens? The praise flows out those doors into the streets and into the minds and into the ears and the hearts of our unbelieving friends, family, and neighbors. And brothers and sisters, all know that there's a church over there on 3735 that preaches the gospel, and they happen to be praising God on Sunday mornings, and that praise consistently going out into the streets and into the minds and hearts and, Lord willing, the wills of your neighbors. 
saying, repent and believe the good news and come be a part of the community. We are God's HDTVs, and our Sunday morning worship puts it on display. But also, we are also God's HDTVs in our lifestyle evangelism. Because our lifestyle, notice I didn't say lifestyle of evangelism. You say, why didn't you say that? I said lifestyle evangelism because it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of holy conduct in private and in public. And along with that, married to that, words of gospel truth flowing out your lips that give people the reason for the hope that is in you. You see, when our worship gets married with our lifestyle evangelism, something amazing happens, friends. Something amazing in the community happens. You can't shut your garage anymore at 5 o'clock. You got to sit on the porch once in a while. And brothers and sisters, sometimes you have to endure seasons where it looks like there's no fruit. But I got to tell you, that doesn't mean anything because, friends, there's a greater reality behind it all. It's a sovereign God who has rescued a people, and he shows himself powerfully through that people, through their faithful worship, and through their lifestyle evangelism. You see, friends, whenever you're at the bank, whenever you're at work, whenever you're pumping gas, whenever you're at the park, going on a walk, playing sports, barbecuing, doing yard work, fixing or painting a house, talking with the neighbor on the porch, and on and on the list could go. It's in the midst of that everyday stuff of life, in the 48214 community and beyond, that you show the, you show the saving mercy of God in Christ to a lost and hostile world. Amen? And friends, don't forget this. You have the power to do it. You have the nitrous oxide booster. So quit complaining and get to the center of the fold. And how do you drink it? We have rhythms here at Mac, and you ought to have a personal rhythm at home too. You have a personal devotion time. You have a family devotion time. But you also have fellowship groups, and we're trying to beef those up. And we also have Bible studies. We're trying to get those back going. And you have Sunday morning worship so that every month you have consistent opportunities to get the nitrous oxide in you that will boost you for the mission. And don't do it by yourselves because you got a lot in here. And one day, Lord willing, none of this blue I'll see because it'll be nothing but people praising God and living a lifestyle of holiness and speaking gospel truth. I'm going to be out your way. This is my last story, I, I promise. I, I ain't going to tell no more. Pastor Leon's like, yeah, right. I'm like, you're probably right. But here it is. Let me close with this. I'll tell you how it looks. It ain't, it, it's not rocket science, friends. And you don't have to be perfect to do it. The other day I got off, I, I left the office and I, I went home, parked the car, got the dog leash, okay? Average things I do every day. Put, slung the baby in the stroller, okay? Didn't sling her. I was kind. And I, and I, and I, in my left hand I had Mac. In my right I pushed the stroller. And I got to tell you, on this specific day I was a little discouraged. Because ministry can get a little discouraging sometimes. Family life can get a little discouraging sometimes. Work life can get a little discouraging sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? I was a little discouraged, a little gloomy, down in the dumps. Debbie Downer. And as I'm walking down the street, I'm preparing to preach from this text. And I said, no, 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 Satan. I'm going to preach this gospel to my heart. And I began to remind myself, Kevin, that's not who you are. You're a chosen people. And I started one by one appropriating this good news over me. And as my heart filled with encouragement, just then, four youth, three youth from the neighborhood approached me out of nowhere. 
And they said, hey, Pastor K, can we walk with you? And I said, yeah, now you can. So we start walking down the street. And we're walking the blocks. And at the end of our walk, one of the louder of the three yelled out. He said, Pastor K, can we, this was so much fun. Can we do this again Friday? And I said, yeah, we could do it every week. I just got to ask my wife. But friends, you may say, what's God? Of course God is building you a ministry, Pastor K. We, we hired you for that. You're all gifted at that and everything. Maybe God has gifted me with the measure of his grace. But friends, it's something bigger than that. It's 15 years of Mac Avenue Community Church because Mac Kristen Edgar met this family before I did. Okay, and so the only reason I know them is because of her faithfulness and Nate's faithfulness and Adelaide's faithfulness and on and on and on it goes. And friends, for 15 years, worship's been flowing out into the streets and into the minds and hearts and, Lord willing, the wills of people. Some of you even said, I'll follow Jesus. And you did it on somebody's witness from Mac. And friends, that's what happens when a church gets excited and said, I'm not going to shut my mouth, and I'm not going to leave my holiness in the private. I'm going to live it out in private and public, and I'm going to preach the gospel wherever I go, and I'm going to sing the gospel wherever I go, because that's who God's people are. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is the people, the people of God. Will you pray with me? Chris, I feel like it's appropriate you could get on up here and lead us out. Father God, we praise you. We praise you, God, because you are worthy. You're worthy, God. And we want to sing to you. We want to sing loudly to you because you've made our hearts happy in you. And so, God, would you give us voices to sing? Would you give us minds to think your will, hearts to feel your presence, and voices to lift high your name? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's.